0: This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Hi, everyone. Today, we have a rewind episode with one of the most popular episodes of Banking on Goals with Professor Julia Plotz of the University of Southern California. Enjoy. (laughs)
1: Debt is not a good thing, but you should never borrow beyond your means. If you don't have, you know, a good season and you don't have good crops, you won't be able to pay the debt and you lose your farm.
0: You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batniwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. This episode, we're speaking with Professor Julia Plotz, the academic director of the Masters of Finance program at the USC Marshall School of Business, where she's been awarded the Golden Apple Award for teaching excellence 12 times. She's the mother of two children, including a teenage daughter. Julia, welcome. Thank
1: you, Marina. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an important and relevant topic. So I appreciate having the opportunity to share some of my experiences.
0: It's wonderful to have you here. So, Julia, your path to becoming a professor of finance was not a direct one. Tell us about your career journey.
1: Sure. So, I was actually born in California in the Central Valley in Fresno, which is primarily an agricultural area. I was not born in New York City with any any type of exposure to Wall Street. I grew up around the farms. My, My dad was actually an engineer. He had grown up in Kansas in the Midwest on a farm himself. And it's, I think, a lot of my views on finance actually come from the fact that, you know, when you come from that environment and you're living on a farm the way that he did, he was raised to believe that debt is not a good thing, that you should never borrow beyond your means if you don't have, you know, a good season. And you don't have good crops, you won't be able to pay the debt and you lose your farm. So I'll just start off by saying that no prior, you know, exposure to anything related to finance or Wall Street was raised by someone who grew up on a farm, he was an engineer, but he was also an entrepreneur, and he started a company in Fresno. My mother was actually a computer programmer. Now I guess they they would call her a software developer. She was one of the few early females at IBM. So I was able to see, you know, a mother who worked both, you know, full-time and she worked part-time raising three kids and I grew up, you know, with this father who started this business. He really bootstrapped his business. It was a capital intensive business. What that means is lots of equipment required for the manufacturing plant and he didn't believe in borrowing. So with that background, I think what I learned was work ethic. And I also learned never ever live beyond your means. I didn't really have much exposure to finance probably until after college. And so the non-direct path to finance was I studied liberal arts in my undergraduate degree. I actually studied English literature and writing and political science. And I was always told that those were my strengths, that I was very good at writing. I was very good at communicating. And because I had some challenging times in high school, in my math class, I was actually told that I shouldn't pursue anything quantitative. So I just listened to what everyone said And I was good at the writing and the communication, and so I decided to pursue that. During college, I actually spent some time interning for the governor of California, and I became very, very interested in public policy and government. And as a result of that experience, I actually moved to Washington, D.C. right after I got my degree, and that's really where I had my first true exposure to finance. It was while I was working in Washington DC for a congressional committee I worked on the Committee on Banking and Financial Services it was really interesting work I was a support staff member for the committee if anyone is not familiar with what congressional committees do they're essentially the legislative sub-organization of the Congress they handle very specific duties they you know monitor government operations they identify issues that they should review. They recommend courses of action. You know, they kind of put forth different legislation related to the industry. In this case, it was banking and financial services. I learned a lot about finance in that experience. After that, I transitioned to the private sector. I worked for a top international law firm in Washington, DC as a lobbyist. And my clients were financial institutions. So large investment banks, retail banks from all over the world. And I think that it was through this experience where I realized that I wanted to truly understand how the financial system worked. And so I, I felt that I needed to go back and sort of get more education in the area. So I went back to get an MBA. I focused in finance and strategic management. And from graduate school, I transitioned into investment banking. So again, you know, just kind of in summary, you know, no exposure to Wall Street sort of fell into this experience where i was primarily doing this you know legislative and regulatory analysis but it happened to be in banking and financial services became very fascinated by it but i really realized i needed to learn this language that everyone was speaking and so got my mba transitioned to investment banking for anyone who's not familiar of what an investment banker does they help companies raise money for expansion and improvement They also help advise on different strategic courses of action, including mergers and acquisitions. It was a really, really great experience. I learned a tremendous amount about business through that experience, but it's a very rigorous schedule. Travel, work hours, and client services can be 80 to 90 hours a week on average. And so from there, I decided I needed my next career path. I had kept in touch with some of my professors from business school, and I decided to reach out to see if they had some suggestions on what I might be able to do next that would you know, keep me challenged, but also you know, sort of doing the things that I like to do. It was suggested to me that maybe I teach one class as an adjunct professor. I was a little surprised when I was asked to do this. I don't have a typical background as a faculty member. I do not have a PhD but I decided, well, what the heck, I'll give it a try. I really enjoyed, you know, sort of teaching that first class. It was more challenging than anything I had ever done. But what I think I realized was my non-traditional path to finance was actually a huge strength for me because I was able to go in and explain to students how some of these, you know, financial frameworks worked and communicate it in a way that maybe someone who didn't have the easiest way of understanding it. You know, I mm-hmm. I really had to work to understand finance and numbers more than maybe someone where it just came naturally for them.
0: Right. So, and I, I think we hear yeah. a lot about people in STEM careers where a liberal arts or an arts background is extremely helpful and beneficial, even in a STEM career.
1: Absolutely. I think that the one thing that I find, you know, really, really important as a message to anyone who's maybe, you know, considering business or finance. I know one of the questions that I think we talked about, Marina, is what kind of a barrier some women perceive to be for a career in finance. And a lot of times I hear, you know, students say, well, I'm not very good at the numbers or I'm not very good at, I'm not naturally quantitative. And I think they're misinformed about what it takes to succeed in finance. You know, my own experience is that I use both sides of my brain in my job, both the the right and the left side. Right side is more intuitive, creative, emotional. Left side is logical, analytical, and objective. You need both sides to be a good investor. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one thing I would say about finance and being a good investor, you need to use both sides.
0: Yeah, completely agree. As a financial professional myself, um, the communication skills are just so important. Now, you talked about, you know, your early life, your early influences. Your father was very concerned about not taking on a lot of debt. You know, I expect that was probably a generational attitude at the time and things have certainly changed a lot. Were there any other influences in your life that shaped your views on money? Did your mother have a role in communicating financial, any kind of financial knowledge or education in your life? Yeah, I think,
1: you know, when I think about my exposure to money and budgeting and saving and investing, they both definitely had an influence. I think from the lessons I learned from my father was, you know, again, as you said, don't take on any debt or try to avoid debt if you can live within your means. From my mother, she really managed sort of the operating accounts of the household, right? You know, she kept us on budget. And I think that was a really, really important lesson that I learned early on is, is that, you know, you do need to, it seems silly to say this now, but you need to balance your checkbook. And again, I'm not sure I you know, in the old days, you literally sat down and balanced the checkbook. Now it's just understanding what you have, understanding your financial situation, you know, what it takes in terms of your operating expenses every month, and then just ensuring that, you know, you're saving and you're planning and you're investing for the future.
0: Right. And that's so important because from a lot of the research that I've done is that goals are often taught, When it comes to money, goals are often taught about budgeting and saving, but not necessarily the wealth building part of financial literacy, which is really understanding how money compounds and investing.
1: Yeah, it's and I'll tell you, it's one of the first lessons we teach in finance in our business curriculum is about time value of money and compounding. And I guess my experience there was when I got my first job, in Washington, D.C. I remember very clearly one of the first things I did is I walked into a branch and I opened a brokerage account. And I'm not even sure why I did this. I just, maybe it was a recommendation from someone that maybe I might want to start investing in the stock market. So I did that. And what I did was I set up a direct deposit into that brokerage account. So instead of it going into a bank account, a savings account, it went into my account. And I think that was actually a really important turning point for me because I saw that I could start making investments in the stock market, for example. I didn't just have to sit in a savings account. And I learned some tough lessons early on, by the way, when I really was not that knowledgeable about investing where I, you know, I went all the way to zero on some investments. And so I'm glad that I had that opportunity to explore that and experiment with that early on before I had, you know, major financial commitments in my life. But it, you know, I also had some stocks that I invested in that did very well, and it provided
0: opportunities for me later. So what do you wish you knew about money when you were younger that you know now? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing I will say
1: is that I think because my parents really were not that knowledgeable about finance and investing, you know, they sort of stuck to this principle of living within your means. And, you know, one thing I guess that they did do and and sort of modeled to me is the importance of owning real estate. So they were early investors in real estate when they had that opportunity in California and that worked very well for them. So I knew that was a goal for me was that at some point I would want to own some real estate. What did I not know about? I really didn't know much about the stock market. I didn't know much about asset allocation, about diversification because I really hadn't seen that from my parents. As I said, my dad was an entrepreneur. He didn't have a 401k. He was just build 401k being a retirement account. He was just building his business. And, you know, making investments wherever you could, but those investments were really pretty strictly in real estate as sort of the asset class. So I wish I would have known a little bit more. But I think, you know, I, I was very curious about it, and I, I learned that on my own. I'll tell one story if I can, which is that my sister, who is not um, and doesn't do anything in finance, she's actually a trained chef and she studied, You know, information technology and sociology. I saw her investing in the stock market back during the dot com bubble. And we all were doing that. We were all investing in the stock market. But one thing I noticed about her is she had given her trust to an investment advisor to help her with that process. And I think a lot of people do that, right? They rely on some investment advisor to do it, they don't pay much attention, they put all their trust in that person. What ended up happening with her is, You know, she lost most of her money when the dot-com bubble crashed. Now, I'd like to say I knew something more than she did. I was just lucky. I happened to pull most of my money out of the stock market because I was buying my first home. So again, it kind of goes back to this lesson of the importance of diversification. If you really, truly have all your eggs in one basket, that is not a good thing.
0: Right. And I think it also underscores not to at least have enough knowledge to not completely put all your trust in, in someone else, so at least know what your advisor is doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Julia, you have a teenage daughter. How are you teaching her about money and financial literacy?
1: Yeah, this is also one of the greatest challenges, Marina, that I think we face as parents is especially when you think about sort of the environment we're in with social media. And with sort of everyone seeing what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is wearing, what everyone else, you know, vacations they're taking, different things. And so I guess my greatest lesson that I try to pass on to my daughter is, you know, number one, you really don't know what's going on, you know, with your neighbors in their shoes, right? They may look like they have tons of money and they're doing all these great things, but there's a good chance that maybe they're, Going into debt, or they're living beyond their means, and you really just need to focus on yourself and what your own personal goals are. Don't compare yourself to others. And then the other piece of that is, is that I think our society is all about this instant gratification. Whereas when you know when we were growing up, it was well, I would like to go to Hawaii one day. Well, I'm going to save my money and take a trip to Hawaii one day, but I'm not going to put it on a credit card before I'm able to actually afford to go to Hawaii. So you know, big lessons to her is don't compare yourself to others and avoid giving into this instant gratification.
0: Great advice. We certainly spend a lot of time at home talking about the Joneses and not keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. You know, we talked a little earlier on the barriers that you think women perceive in pursuing a career in finance. And there are many perceived and potentially actual. But what I've found is that uh, there are also a lot of advantages in terms of potentially flexibility uh, nowadays. So any thoughts about that, any advice that you give your students?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really great thing to talk about because I never had, you know, any mentors discuss this with me. I talked to a lot of female students where they will maybe initially be discouraged from pursuing certain careers because they're concerned about, you know, the demands of the job and the number of hours. And, you know, my comment to them was that when I just made the decision to pursue investment banking as an opportunity, I was really very focused on the near term. I was thinking, you know, maybe two to five years. And beyond that, I assumed that if I could do a, you know, do a great job, there would always be an opportunity to follow. And I think too much of the time, you know, I see my students come in and say, well, I don't want to pursue finance because all of those jobs are going to be too demanding. And I won't be able to maybe have a family or dedicate the time to that, or I won't have, you know, balance in my life or whatever. And I think, as you say, Marina, we're seeing more and more of these career tracks in finance are flexible. And I think that, a lot of these, you know, financial institutions and companies, they recognize the value in having a very diverse, you know, employee demographic. And so, you know, number one lesson, I guess, is is just pursue what interests you and where you think that you can succeed. And, you know, I think that's really important and don't give into these stereotypes.
0: Indeed. And, you know, you taught a class on finance to medical professionals and interested to know what were you teaching them in class and what did you learn from teaching them?
1: Yeah. And this is our, a program that USC actually no longer has, but we had it for a very long time. It was our master's of medical management and we'd have very senior physicians, you know, in the program The goal was for them to really understand business better since so much of healthcare has sort of moved towards, you know, really understanding the fundamentals of business. What did I learn? Wow, I learned so much. It was one of my most challenging audiences in terms of the type of student that I've had over my career. Very smart and accomplished students. They're used to being the best at what they do. And I think, Finance was scary to them, which was something that I was surprised by. I just assumed, oh, they've made it through medical school. They're accomplished physicians. This is going to be not a problem for them. But it was a very humbling experience for them. In general, I found that these doctors were very skeptical of finance because in their experience, it's the chief financial officer of their organization that would always be the one to say no to them or to get them to focus on areas of profitability and efficiency versus patient care. And so I really had to persuade them as to why it was important for them to at least understand the fundamentals of finance and to be able to speak the language. You asked me what I learned from teaching them. And I'll never forget one day having a a conversation in class about venture capital. And I was trying to explain to them sort of the thought process that a venture capitalist goes through when they're considering making an investment uh, in a new venture and i and part of why I wanted to communicate to this to them is I thought, "Well, geez, you know maybe you're going to be a venture capital investor one day, and I think I made that comment to one of them, and they said, "Are you kidding? We have so much student debt there 's no way we 're ever going to be in a position to be an investor and I think a light bulb went off on my head, and I started to have conversations with some of them and i really learned that so many of them have pursued this career path at a significant cost tons of student death, debt and very you know very few of them had an ability to really you know get ahead in terms of purchasing real estate and again this is cuz we're in los angeles so i think it all ties back to this message of the importance of financial literacy and planning and really understanding your financial
0: situation right exactly and you know the pace of change that our children will experience when it comes to technology, and even when it comes to their own careers, whatever they do, will be unprecedented. And yet the OECD says that financial literacy will be an essential skill in the 21st century to even participate in society. So before we wrap up today, what are the one or two things that you would want people to know about raising girls and young women when it comes to money?
1: Yeah, this is a really a really great question and you know I think about some of the lessons that we try to pass on to our children just about even their health and their well-being, you know, managing your personal financial situation is very very similar to the habits you create around your health and your fitness. When we think about health and fitness, there's a lot of people, they do nothing about it or maybe they're trying to improve, they're doing the wrong things. The fundamentals are pretty simple and straightforward. You do not have to be perfect, just mostly right. Most of the time can have a positive impact and it's never too late to get on the right path. You know, that's another thing I think where there's a parallel between health and fitness and financial fitness. And so when I think about the habits that you create here, I think discipline is one that's really important. So The steps, the takeaways would be, number one, just understand your current financial situation and, you know, setting some personal priorities and goals. You know, as I mentioned before, I had a goal, which was to, you know, to accumulate some assets and to get ahead in life and to try to invest in some real estate. And the only way I could get there was by really, you know, investing and saving and thinking about, you know, my budget. Creating and sticking to a budget is another really important one. And then the final things that I try to teach my daughter is about saving for retirement and also trying to avoid debt. Maybe it's not possible to avoid debt completely, but really try to manage it and
0: pay off debt as soon as you can. Terrific advice. So much great advice, Julia. Thank you so much. Um, I hope we can come back in and perhaps delve into some of these topics in, in a little more detail at a later time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and at bankingongirls.com.